0: Welcome to Artist Perspectives, a Pacific Northwest College of Arts student-run podcast. I'm A.D. Holm. Each episode, we bring on two artists to talk about their work and experience navigating the Portland art community. This week, we will be speaking with Catherine Mosley, a junior animated arts major at PNCA, and Bradley Worley, a designer and puppet fabricator who's worked on such films as Lake is Kubo and The Two Strings and Missing Link. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Hey. Bradley, let's start with you. How did you become interested in animation?
1: Um, I think for me, it was probably uh, pretty typical um, to a lot of folks. Uh, it started really early, um, probably around the age of six. Just really got into uh, special effects and stop motion. I remember Gumby was hugely like, influential to me. I was like, I know that's different. I don't know what it is. I want to be a part of it. So started with Gumby. Uh,
0: how did that lead you into uh, fabricating stop motion puppets?
1: Well, I think um, I've always been a total nerd, and I still collect action figures to this day, and um, I think what kind of sparked the interest was wanting to know how to make those um, and then also sort of replicate uh, my own sculptures, things like that, Uh, so that got me interested in mold making, um, which could directly lead into, like, my ultimate passion, which was doing film work and uh, just making those puppets, fabricating them, and... uh, Mold making is huge when it comes to that. So,
0: For the listeners that aren't versed in the art of puppet fabrication, can you give us a brief description of your process?
1: Absolutely. So uh, when you think of puppet fabrication, especially from what I do uh, on my end with mold making, um, it actually ends up being a really integral part uh, in an industry-style show um, because that mold is essentially going to represent what that final outcome for that puppet is going to look like. And... Um, Instead of doing what we refer to as a one-off or a build-up puppet, which is kind of a standalone and unique puppet in itself, uh, mold-making allows you to replicate parts um, and get something that can look almost virtually identical, which is really big when you're doing a a big production because obviously there's going to be a lot of animators and they're going to need to work on various puppets of that same character just to make the production go along a little faster. So a lot of times you'll start with a, uh, a sculpt or um, a resin casting of a character's body or head, depending on what production you're working on, and um, do stuff as simple as uh, laying it up in clay, uh, walling that up, and then pouring a silicone or whatever preferred material uh, around that, that piece to get the mold. And you do the first side, flip it over, repeat, and um, you just keep going until you have the, uh, the rest of your mold.
0: Very cool is that uh, so you keep that cohesiveness with the, the the puppet by ultimately using a cast that's already existing
1: absolutely interesting yeah. okay
0: what's your favorite puppet you've made so far
1: oh man that is um that's hard because uh, there are plenty of um, puppets that I've worked on in a professional setting that i I definitely gravitated towards there's actually a character coming up in missing link that I was a fan of. Uh, getting the opportunity to work on, it's uh, Link himself. Uh, he's a really interesting character. And um, there's another one, too, I would say, uh, Stank. Uh, he's he's a um, character in that film as well. Um, personal projects, though, uh, tend to always be really fun because then you can just work on exactly what you want to do. And I have a lot of characters there. I right? had a blast making. So.
0: Undoubtedly. What's been your favorite personal project to work on so far?
1: So far, I would have to say um, it's probably my latest project. It's actually right now going into comic book form. Uh, it's entitled uh, Rico the Horny Robot. And um, <laughs> it's basically about a uh, robot that gets struck with a uh, rare hip-hop-infused pornocyte virus. And um, he basically has to wrap his way through all kinds of crazy little shenanigans. And uh, my hope is to turn that comic um, idea into a a uh, story that can be told through stop motion and maybe some some bits of live action. I go around Portland and perform as the character too sometimes, and it's a lot of fun.
0: It, it seems like there's a lot of elements of a uh, of a comedic nature in your work. Like, where, yeah. where do you tend to draw that inspiration
1: from? Um, I've always been a really big fan of uh, just comedy in general. Um, definitely grew up with like some of my heroes and SNL, and obviously. Uh, In Living Color with, like, Jim Carrey, uh, Mike Myers, and Dana Carvey, big Wayne's World fan. Um, I think that those guys are geniuses, and um, so I like to draw from things that maybe they would do, you know? Like, how would they approach it? You know, some people are like, what would Jesus do? I'm like, (laughs) what would Wayne do? (laughs) So I think about that a lot, and um, I just try to put sort of that kind of whimsical stuff into my my own projects, and I just have a lot of fun with them.
0: Yeah, that seems like a very key ingredient for the the personal work. Totally. Um, I mean, it seems like getting into the realm of uh, animation and doing fabrication with large studios like like our Shadow Machine uh, is very time consuming. Yes. How do you find time to do your uh, your personal projects?
1: You know, I get asked that question a lot because a lot of us are are doing it. That's the thing. Um, I have a lot of friends that will literally go and work uh, an 8 you know, plus hour day. Uh, get home. And in some cases they have families. So they're really not getting to their own personal work until after that, which is usually into the night. So you're, you're dealing with people that don't sleep very much. And, um, I think that that's how we get it done. Like we just, uh, we're so passionate about what we do. And, um, I think whether we're on the clock or off the clock, we're always, we're always making. So. Great. Yeah.
0: I'm going to flip that over to Catherine. I mean, like you, uh, attending attending school can also be so uh, time consuming and everything. Uh, do you do you find time for your own personal projects in the in the midst of all of that?
2: Uh, I think the way I get around it is I just pitch my personal projects to my professors and convince them it's a good enough idea that I can stay up all night and do it for them. So that's
0: cool. <laughs> that's a great approach. Um, does that work out well for you?
2: Oh, always. I I think um. When working with professors, I always get a lot of, oh, like, I don't know. I don't think that's going to work. Like, you know, you try it. If it fails, like, we have another plan. Like, just go to that. And then um, I get a lot of pleasant surprises back of people who uh, don't see as much dedication, I feel like, as animation students bring forth a lot of times or um, willingness to sacrifice. (laughs) Right. So, uh, yeah, I usually get really good feedback for, for my own personal projects that I end up pitching.
0: I mean that's that seems like the the good side of the coin what kind of struggles have you been running to, into uh, with with class and uh, doing doing your projects in this fashion
2: Oh doing my own personal projects I think your biggest enemy like as an animator is yourself and so when you get the like go to go on ahead and do what you're passionate about or what you're excited for like the worst critic is is you and so the biggest hang up I have is like I pitched my project you know I put my own like personal worth, I guess, like for lack of a better word on the line. And like, I got to prove that it's going to work. And so, um, I think that that can lead to the the biggest problem I have.
0: <laughs> sure. Yeah. I, uh, you seem to, to be in a, a agreement, Bradley, with, uh, yeah, a, what have you run up against in that fashion?
1: Yeah. It's, it's very difficult to not, um, you know, criticize your, your own work. Uh, all of us are artists in, in some fashion and that's why we've gravitated towards, uh, stop motion or any form of animation i think stop motion in particular is is exciting because it, it can encompass almost any kind of art form you can think of like it's all it's all there and um uh it's just really difficult though uh, especially if you're perfectionist which let's face it a lot of us are um to just kind of you know give yourself some credit like you're doing something cool and and a lot of fun just don't be too hard on yourself
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah i mean is that the is that the advice you'd offer to somebody that's up and coming and trying to get into that industry then
1: absolutely I mean you know different places are gonna work differently and they're gonna their expectations are gonna be um all across the board you know some folks are gonna look at it as like hey, just get it done you know and and that's gonna suffice and then others are gonna you know want that sort of polished look so you're gonna have to work harder for it but um uh what's great about kind of at the same time, where I, I wouldn't encourage you to like be hard on yourself, um, what's great about part of that is that you can you can take that hardworking nature and, and that expectation that you have on yourself and, and put it into that industry level work. And I have seen it uh, kind of take a lot of folks to success. You know, they they find success in that.
0: Yeah, yeah, they, they, their involvement tends to pay off. Then. Exactly. Yeah. What sort of advice would you uh, offer to somebody like Catherine that's trying to? monetize their work speaking of like paying off and having going into this industry um, how do you how do you set a standard for what you're worth
1: yeah that can be really tricky um because you know i meet a lot of artists and and i myself have a, a hard time with this um, we're we're very creative we can handle the art side of it no problem right but uh trying to find a way to um for for the business end of it you know like how like you said how much am i worth kind of thing uh, that can be a little tricky, um, and not just on yourself. You can eventually get to that point, but um, it can be a tough business in the sense that uh, a lot of times folks like different clients, things like that, uh, whether you're doing painting, sculpture, animation, uh, will expect uh, a lot for very little. You know, we, we all know what that's like. Yeah. <laughs> um, But uh, eventually, you know, and in some cases in the beginning, you may find yourself doing things absolutely free just to gain experience. Um, I think we've all been there at some point unless we're like ridiculously lucky or something. (laughs) But it's just a matter of uh, kind of building, building on it. Like if you do that stuff, you know, free and you do it really well and people enjoyed working with you, you build on that. And um, you just keep in mind that like, yeah, like it's – your time is valuable, and you should be compensated fairly for that, yeah, regardless yeah. of what industry or or company is trying to, um, you know, go through with with working with you.
0: Yeah, exposure can be good from a networking perspective in that regard, you know. Right. But you can't, you know, my my rent six hundred exposures. Absolutely. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what kind of what kind of soft skills do you think are are really uh, necessary in 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 getting into that realm? Like, I know, uh, you know when you're getting into doing animation you know all the technical skills of casting these puppets and whatnot sure. but when when it comes to that uh dynamic of interpersonal interaction and things like that what what do you find is most beneficial
1: um so by soft skills you mean um just kind of things that you would go uh, not the technical end of it but more or less just um well i guess maybe people skills yeah yeah, yeah.
0: The, like the cuz now I, I tend to notice you know um, the, depending on the school you've gone to uh mm-hmm. they can they can focus a lot on the technical end of things right. but but uh they can kind of end up you know and I'm not speaking to any one school in this but uh, they, sure. they can tend to like leave you hanging on on how to create those uh those interpersonal
1: connections absolutely no it's it, it can be kind of tricky to navigate cuz like you said you can gain all of those uh technical skills from school and then there's just certain things that they can't really prepare you for um, until you experience it in a uh, professional setting, and some of those professional settings are going to go really fluid, and um, I think it all boils down to, uh, if you're familiar with the phrase, like, just work hard and be nice to people, um, that just goes so far in any industry you're involved in. Like, that should always be the goal. Like, let's be nice to each other, right? And we're it's going to be a much easier process. Um, the unfortunate side of that is it's not everybody Uh, follows that same code. Um, So there are going to be certain politics uh, that you might find hard to understand or maybe even completely unnecessary in a professional setting. Um, And I think just being able to uh, remember that it's, like I said, that phrase, work hard and be nice to people um, constantly. Like just keep running it through your head because even if people aren't kind to you in return, in a professional setting, if you're always like that to them, it's not really going to hurt you. Like, you maintain your integrity, and that's that's important.
0: Nice. Yeah. yeah. It's. I, I mean, it's a little disheartening in the sense of uh, that coming into any industry that you need to preface things with "be nice." Yeah. You know? Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, what kind of advice would you give somebody like Catherine in in trying to? You know, I I don't know if I I really expounded on this uh, previously, but but to get into that realm. Like obviously those soft skills are important, but, uh, mm-hmm. what, what more specifically do you think, uh, somebody like Catherine can do to yeah to get in that?
1: Yeah. I think, um, something that I had to kind of learn maybe the hard way was, uh, if we're doing stop motion in, in particular, what ends up happening is, uh, early on, we may have that, that tendency to want to do it all, right? Like we want to make the puppets. We want to write the story. We want to shoot it. We want to do it all. And that is so exciting and fun. Um, and can really work for you uh, in terms of being well-rounded. But when you go for that uh, industry job, you'll, you'll learn really quick that you kind of have to pick a focus, and that's huge. And my advice would be like, well, what is the thing that you love doing most and, and trying to push that as much as possible? For me, it was mold making and um, puppet fabrication in particular. I started out animating but then realized really quickly, you know, I don't know if I could do this. Uh, for the length of time that it requires. Um, But I love making puppets, you know, and I feel like when you make that um, sort of known, especially when you're going into the interviews and uh, building your portfolio and um, just getting everything compiled, if you kind of show them exactly what you want to do, then uh, you'll kind of have a leg up on a lot of others, um, trying to do it all, essentially.
0: How did you decide what to put into your portfolio then
1: when, when applying to these places? yeah it was um again, I think just like analyzing what I thought was my best um work to show, and sadly, a lot of it uh it ended up not being animation. I realized that you know, maybe I just didn't have the the skill set for that particularly, but um people would always mention that they really like my character designs and things like that, so I'm like, okay, I'll focus on that that'll be good i'll I'll just go character design and puppets. We'll see what happens. Yeah.
0: What was your, uh, what was your first, uh, real, like quote unquote real job in animation?
1: Uh, it was, it was actually a really fun project, um, which I never even anticipated. So a lot of times you'll like, you'll like try to apply for a job. And this one, I, I, it just kind of was something I, I had to find. It was like a, this weird little journey where, um, I wasn't having much success, uh, after college, um because you go into it you spend 4 years or maybe more uh trying to get all this experience only to arrive in the real world and they already want you to have you know a number of years of experience professionally right and it's just not very practical it's kind of a bizarre setup when you think about it um so you have to kind of look for these different things and sometimes you don't find them like they kind of find you so uh but you always have to plant the seeds and i found that by contacting the people that I looked up to or admired the most, like I'd see work of theirs online, um, that just created a dialogue. And once that was started, it just kind of opened up all these doors. And to kind of answer your question, the project was uh, this little independent uh, pilot for originally intended for television. It was called Ginger and Pickles, um, created by Johnny Cavalli and Peter Salisbury. And um, it was... Uh, Ginger Smacks, she's this little gingerbread um, news reporter. And she's kind of going through all these, like, little events with uh, her friend, Professor Pickle Pants, of all, all things. <laughs> and uh, they have this scheming boss who's a corn dog. And um, all of these puppets and designs were created by this really talented artist, uh, the late Scott Nordland, um, who taught me so much. And a lot of it just was, like, I think through the relationship that I built with him – and sort of this crazy story and event, it's like too long for this. Like it's, it's nuts, but, um, but yeah, it's just, uh, it ended up being a project that never really quite took off, but so much came out of it. It was, it was definitely one of my, one of my more favorite experiences. Um, but definitely the first job, cause I, I got 200 bucks from it and I was like, <laughs> I just got paid to do animation. This is yeah. what I want to do. You
0: know? Yeah. It's great. Um, what do you think you came out of that with? Uh, what was the most important thing you think you walked away with besides the $200? Um,
1: I think, again, it was uh, getting back to that phrase like it's it's who you know and, and building those relationships, building those connections. Um, I met two really amazingly talented animators uh, through that experience. Um, when you think about their credits, like uh, so Amy Adame and Chuck Duke, their credits are pretty epic. Like, they worked on everything from the Selleck the pictures to Will Vinton Studios they've been involved in. Uh, same with Scott. Uh, all three of them were, were attached to those projects. And um, uh, those connections really last because they'll open up other doors for you and, and kind of lead you in much better directions. So Sure, yeah. sure. What, uh, what,
0: what's an instance in which you were working on a project that really made you sweat?
1: Oh, right, yeah. Yeah. Um, Okay, so th- I was working for this one company and um, I was wearing a lot of different hats. And uh, it's something that you can kind of just expect to do, especially if you're starting in an entry level for any company, um, is you're going to do a lot. And uh, you're probably only going to be paid for, for one of those jobs initially that you're doing. Uh, but in this particular one, I was specifically asked to work on a, um, a really important, uh, what they call pitch packet. And um, this is essentially to kind of establish – uh, a show. Send it to the people that you may have to get clearance on if it's if it's something specific, um, and then basically just kind of wait for their feedback so you can get the green light for a show. You know, so I remember uh, this project came up and they asked me if I'd be interested in uh, dividing my time to get it done. And I'm like young and ambitious. I want to do it. Uh, so I'm like absolutely and by by all means, like I'll do extra time if I have to, whatever. Um, so I take it on, uh, but then it turns out that it's like very near and dear to the, uh, the owner of this company's, uh, heart. Like it's a project that this individual really wants to, uh, put everything into. Um, so that's like a lot of pressure right off the, uh, the, the bat. And, um, uh, but took it on and, um, managed to do it really well. Um, ended up producing, you know, close to like 30 of these individual packets, um, with a very small team, but I was, like, the only one fabricating it. So it boiled down to, like, anytime this needed to be done, I was the person they went to. And um, it was great because by the, you know, 15th or whatever, you're like, okay, I got this, you know. Um, But I do remember there was a time where it was all in one day, and I had more or less boiled it down to it took at least three days to do these packets, right. Um, Ended up that they were going to have a writer come in, that they wanted to give one of these packets to. And it was very important because this writer was the writer of the script. And um, they wanted it within that day. And I I already said that, like, it takes, you know, two, you know, three days to produce an entire packet from scratch. And uh, they're like, well, we need it by 12 in the afternoon. And that's already, like, an hour into the workday. So we're looking at two hours. How do I do this? You know, it's it's not going to happen, right? Um, But do I tell... The, like the owner of this company, that it can't be done. Uh, I, I probably should have, but <laughs> I felt like maybe in a scenario like that, my job could be on the line. So, nah, I got this. I can do this. Um, ended up going through with it, and in one way or another, we worked it out so that I was able to get what should have taken three do- like three days to get done uh, in two hours. And um, when they needed it at 12, I delivered it at 1158, and my God, was I sweating. <laughs> so, uh, but they, they got it, they loved it, they passed it on, and, and everything was good. But um, uh, yeah, if you're looking to get into the, the biz, just expect that some weird stuff like that might come your way, you know, and be prepared to. S- I don't want to say yes, because that might be bad advice, <laughs> but just be prepared.
0: Sure. You, yeah. you you had mentioned that uh, they had you doing a lot of other jobs. Uh, like, uh, can, can you tell us what job you signed up for and what other things they had you doing?
1: Yeah. So it it was a kind of, I don't know, it was an interesting experience because by the time I had gotten to this particular uh, company, I'd already had past experience and different uh, different job titles to um, push forward with puppet fabrication. And I was really adamant about keeping that going. Um in this particular instance, I wasn't able to do that. And basically, the only position I could get after screening for seven times um, for various other positions um, was a, a production assistant position. And um, so that was, like, quite a step down from what I was doing before. Uh, nothing against production assistants because, as far as I'm concerned, they save shows. Like, they are lifesavers. I've known many great PAs. Um, And, uh, but when you are a PA, you have to juggle a lot. Like you're doing the day to days, um, depending on the company, uh, they might expect you to get coffee. Yeah. For them, you know, some folks, um, and you're, you're doing printing, you're doing, uh, uh, documentation and all these different files. Like if art directors don't have the time, I was working specifically for an art department. Um, they'll pass on the work to you to get done on, you know, so they reach their deadlines and, uh. So a lot of times you're doing all of those other things, and then rather than just be like, I think he's got enough, uh, they're like, I wonder how much more he could take. <laughs> you know? That's usually what ends up happening. And um, uh, it's a tough it's a tough gig um, to start out with, but um, usually you, you really uh, learn from it, and you'll grow, and you'll get it. if If you can work it out, you can get other opportunities, and... One of the coolest things about that was it'll open you up to everybody. And in this case, it did end up opening me up to an opportunity to work with uh, the top person, you know, and that was that was a big deal. Um, yeah.
0: I imagine so, that did open some, some doors for you then.
1: Yeah, very much so. And eventually, you know, in, in some sort of weird way, I ended up getting into the, the area I wanted to work anyway. But, um, uh, again, being nice, working hard. And um, just not giving up is a big one, you know, so. It's the easy route to take. Yeah, right? <laughs> take takes some time sometimes. Yeah.
0: <laughs> You're listening to Artist Perspectives on Portland Radio Project, a student-run podcast exploring the lives and work of local artists. Support for Artist Perspectives comes from Pacific Northwest College of Art, the premier college of art and design in the Pacific Northwest. PNCA, we prepare students for a life of creative practice. Welcome back to Artist Perspectives. I'm A.D. Holm, and we're talking with Bradley Worley and Catherine Mosley. Bradley, what brought you to the opposite side of the country from uh, Portland, Maine, where you went to college, correct?
1: That is correct. Um, so, yeah, I was studying animation there and hoping to get into stop motion. It just boiled, bound, uh, boiled down to, like, the logistics of it. Uh, after I finished up with school, I was like, well, where am I going to go to actually pursue this? And, um, you know, there's some potential on the East, uh, East Coast and New York places um, where you could maybe even get into fabrication work for, like, the... Broadway shows, all that stuff I had known people to do that um, but for animation specifically, I was like, yeah, I think I need a change of scenery and I'd never really been to the West Coast before um, but knew that there there was things happening so I was like it just kind of boiled down to like that makes sense I should I should go there
0: what uh, what, what was the uh, specific appeal for you for the West Coast as opposed to the East Coast?
1: Um, I think I, I remember talking to a professor of mine he was a creative writing. Uh, teacher of mine, uh, Claude Caswell, really awesome guy. Um, he was like, Brad, I think you just need a, a change of pace, a change of scenery, uh, go someplace warm. And that's what, it, <laughs> that's what it kind of boiled down to. Always, I was like,
0: always good advice.
1: Yeah, like Portland is, you know, pretty cold. And uh, I was like, yeah, that sounds great. So <laughs> San Francisco always like appealed to me. And that's where I ended up heading first. And um, did actually come up here to Portland to visit. But I was like, you know what? I think this Portland's a little too much like the last Portland, <laughs> so I'm going to stick with uh, San Francisco, Yeah, which was great because then uh, that was in 2012, well, between 2010 and 2012, and uh, Henry Selleck was setting up shop for his um, Shadow King uh, production, um, which I was able to get on, you know, for the amount of time that it lasted, so uh, that, was, that was a lot of fun. It's cool.
0: So did you end up here uh, in Portland for work, ultimately?
1: Ultimately, yeah, it boiled down to uh, when, that, when that show uh, closed up, I was like, oh, what am I going to do now? Um, and uh, ended up coming up here uh, to work for Leica Because um, in terms of, you know, big, you know, feature film studios, it's the pl- it was like the place at the time, um, you know, to do the, that level of project and uh, just seemed like, again, got to go where the work is sort of thing.
0: Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, Catherine, what about you? You're uh, Where are you from originally?
2: I'm from Arkansas originally.
0: Okay. What brought you up to Portland uh, and ultimately PNCA?
2: So before I came to PNCA, I was going to the Memphis College of Art and I was um, living in Memphis, Tennessee. And they announced their closure my sophomore year. And I realized like for the first time in my life that like I didn't know where I was going to go or, like, what I was going to do. I had not known in high school that I was going to go to art school, even though I wanted to be an artist, pretty much from as soon as I could articulate, like, <laughs> what I wanted to do. And um, the fact that I got into an art school, like, blew my mind. It was an amazing opportunity. And I I had the this opportunity given to me once my school announced it was closure, or it once my school announced it was closing, to like rethink what I wanted to do for the first time in my life, I thought maybe I don't want to do art. Like maybe I could I could do anything, and um, I took a class called dimensional illustration, um, and I realized like that I I had kind of gone into specializing into two D animation, and I thought oh I'm gonna do like television, it's gonna be great. I took this dimensional illustration course. And um, I remembered as a young child that I wanted to be a puppeteer. And I didn't know like how to make that a feasible career. I was like, Jim Henson's dead. like No one's going to want to hire me. I was like, what am I going to do now? Mm-hmm. And I took that course and I just looked up who's doing stop motion. like Where's the stop motion capitals of the world? And Portland, Oregon showed up. And I was like, okay, cool. I guess I'm moving to Portland. And um, I had a transfer fair come to my school and PNCA showed up. And so I was like, here we go. <laughs> so by chance, I, I ended up here, I guess. <laughs> yeah,
0: sure. Um, when you attended school initially, you, you were, were you intending to go into animation?
2: Yes. My major, uh, my previous school was also animation. Mm, okay. Right on.
0: Dimensional illustration? Yes. Yeah. What, what exactly does that entail?
2: So, dimensional illustration was essentially making puppets that don't move and taking photos of them um, for things like book covers, comics. Um, they're basically just sculptures that you then photograph and turn into an illustration.
0: Sure. Interesting. And, I, you know, I, I think we touched on this for for a brief moment, but what, what do you do to stay motivated with school?
2: Oh, gosh. Um... This is a hard question because I struggle with motivation. Sure. Um, I think that staying motivated for me really comes from, like, the people who support me. And I think realizing that, like, uh, I have people who want to help me achieve my career that came out of the woodworks when, like I said, my my school announced it was closing and I thought, maybe I'm not going to do art. And I had all these people who came out of the woodworks to say, Catherine, you've always wanted to do art. Like, you can't give up on this now. And kind of just, like, proving everyone wrong and, like, being edgy and being like, oh, yeah, I'm going to be an artist, like, um, it drives me. <laughs> like, every time someone says you can't do that, um, I just want to do it more.
0: <laughs> yeah, knock the naysayers and uh, just, you know, hit it out of the park, I guess. To put it, put it bluntly, you know. It's a... Uh, uh, I think it's easy for people to to get to get down in that way mm-hmm. uh that is like it's easy when people keep telling you no to just say maybe they're right and as opposed to that, I think it's a personally i think it's a healthy approach to, to say uh forget you i'm <laughs> I'm doing it
2: i think i'm I'm very stubborn as a person and um <laughs> being an artist everything is critique and so (laughs) as soon as someone says no that's a that's a chance to show yeah i can (laughs) let's do this
0: yeah excellent yeah again i think that's a that's a very personally i think that's a very healthy approach uh had had your experience been relatively similar when you were in school
1: yeah yeah it's it's i would say it's very similar anytime someone tells you like um you know maybe this isn't practical maybe this isn't uh feasible um yeah I i think a lot of us end up being quite stubborn to make this work (laughs) because you have to be. I mean, you're, you're already kind of, um, already got it kind of stacked against you because, uh, stop motion in particular has constantly been referred to as like this dying art form. Um, which is never really the case. There's, there's always uh, a resurgence in some way or another. And, um, there's always going to be something that you can do, which I really appreciate. Um, and I think it's just, you know, it gets into our heads like we just we just want to keep pursuing our passion and and hopefully uh, i will admit in the end prove prove some folks wrong <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah that's always satisfying right yeah for <laughs> um Catherine, uh, ideally where do you see yourself after school like what, what where do you where do you want to land with what you're doing
2: um so i originally came up here to land on features but uh, then I realized that I think that, again, um, while stop motion might be something that I'm passionate about, like going into TV might be something that works better for my schedule and my life. And I'm really just trying to find something that um, I really believe in. Like I came came here and I was like, like, and like really excited about just specific studios. But now I feel like I'm kind of just looking for whatever, like, the perfect fit is for me to have a healthy life and, like, to be happy and to have my partner.
0: Yeah. Are you are you concerned that working for a larger studio and working on larger projects like that as opposed to a television show would be just ultimately too ki- time-consuming for you?
2: Uh, I think it might be time, but I think it's also stability of work. Um, like, seasons, I think, usually are a little more stable than two-year productions um, and the movement of productions every two years. So, I mean...
0: Sure. I, can you speak to that at all?
1: Uh, yeah. I mean, the thing of it is, is it's, um, it is is definitely tricky because uh, it's like over the years, so much has changed. Um, for the stop motion industry, a really important thing for us to have is uh, healthy competition that keeps us moving. And um, it's it's not always been like that. So the, the one thing I will say about the, uh, the feature films, uh, it does provide um, longevity and stability in the sense that you can work on. A project for up to two years and um you know that you could potentially have that job i mean nothing's ever finite like that's one thing i really got to emphasize um it is really sort of like a nomadic life you you constantly have to keep moving for these projects uh
0: have you found anything that's like ultimately deterministic of whether or not you'll still be with a studio after a, a large film project
1: that's the thing it really boils down to what their expectations are you know and um how long they – I guess they want to keep you around for your skill set depending on what you do. And this is one where I know I said earlier about like picking a focus uh, is really important, but here's also where like being well-rounded could really help you out because if you're able to, let's say, work on a puppet over here and then maybe go do some um, some illustrations or something, uh, you could find longevity that way and sure. bounce around if if you're fortunate enough to – you know, try to keep moving. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's one of those deals where I know plenty of folks that will work on these projects and then once it's wrapped up and if they're not moving on to the next project, then those people are, are rolled off and, you know, essentially out of work until that next project. And that's been something I've experienced both on feature films and then also on TV spots, mm-hmm. uh, series and things like that. So um, it's great when the projects are going on but maybe, like, stacked in a way that could keep us going longer. Sure. Uh, sometimes they're happening all at once, and which is great because it keeps everybody employed for a certain period of time. Um, but then when all those projects wrap up, especially if they're around the same time, then you got a lot of folks that are looking for, for jobs again.
0: You know? Right. Um, so, I mean, uh, going back to those, uh, we talked about skill sets earlier, and we kind of touched on the soft skills of uh, the interpersonal interaction, uh, but, I mean, going back to being multifaceted in, in your in your technical skills, uh, what, what do you think has been, besides your obvious involvement in doing like fabrication and stuff, what have you found to be the really most beneficial skills uh, technically to have outside of that?
1: Yeah, I mean something, and I know that we don't all possess it because it can be really hard and I totally understand. Um, uh, back to like the people skills, um, sometimes if you can find yourself working on the production end of things, uh, where maybe you're not working so much with your hands, um, that can be beneficial because uh, you're still helping on a production, uh, maybe just in a different uh, form. Um, I ended up doing that a lot. Like I was saying, uh, having worked as a production assistant and then later on like a uh, coordinator, um, you're not getting to make the stuff, which isn't quite as fun, um, but you're still part of the production and, and that can get you some some longevity out of it as well. And in some cases, even maybe help you out A little more because you're you're kind of all over the place at that point you're not just kind of like in your corner working on your part of the the puzzle or your piece of the puzzle um so any any area where you can kind of like build on all these like different skill sets like not just like working with your hands but maybe being good with people like you know i know that a lot of us struggle with that because we're we're (laughs) artists so we tend to be kind of like socially awkward um and I know I, I've definitely been there, um, but the more interaction that you get with uh, people um, is going to help you, I think, in the long run.
0: Right now, what is your favorite animated uh, series or film that's going on? What are, what are you all watching that you're interested in?
2: My favorite thing that I've probably watched in the past year, well, my f- two favorite things by an independent artist, it would be Rekabushki's um, Solar Walk. It's an amazing short film. Uh, I don't think it's up online or anywhere right now because it's running film circuits again. But it was up for a week last year, and it it just was so beautiful and changed my life. And I got the opportunity to meet her like last weekend, and that that was amazing. But um, in addition to that, like the Netflix series Hilda, I just like can't stop rewatching it, and I love it <laughs> way too much. Um, undying love for it. <laughs> That's awesome.
1: yeah. um wow, that is, that is a tricky question. Um,
0: there's always so much to choose from, right? Yeah,
1: it, it's really hard. And Plus, I tend to be, um, when it comes to this stuff, and I think just because of the nature of the, the medium, I'm kind of like stuck back in time. Because, uh, I don't know, there's just like a different, different sort of uh, style going on.
0: Well, and being being involved in the industry in such a fashion you become i i, I tend to find people you know become overly critical of things you know yeah <laughs> that happens that definitely it makes, does it makes it easy to just stop enjoying things and being very analytical you know absolutely
1: no you're you're definitely right there um i will say though uh, and you know it's it's this kind of thing where i haven't even seen them yet because they they haven't even been uh, produced but i'm really digging the style of um like the Pinocchio uh, Pinocchio production coming up and um, even the the Wendell and Wild, um, I think it's great what Netflix is, uh, you know, going to be potentially doing here for the uh, for our industry. Um, it's going to really keep us going, which is crucial, very crucial. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, even just the style of those shows, I'm very intrigued about. So I, I think that they could easily become like my new favorites, essentially. You know.
0: I mean, speaking uh, to the uh, the idea of Netflix really pumping some life into the industry, uh, I mean, besides Netflix, what do you perceive, like, how do you perceive the future
1: of animation moving with that kind of stuff? Yeah, I guess, yeah, it's, it's always so hard to say because, um, you know, like, sometimes you can be working on a project that, like, seems to have everything uh, together. You know, it's got the backing, it's got the concept, um, it's got uh, the style, everything's looking great, but um, there've been, just been a number of uh, stop motion productions in particular that, Sadly, never really get to see the light of day and for whatever reason you know and um, uh, what I love about this uh, Netflix opportunity is that if you're familiar with their original content now, it seems like they're making everything, you know whether it's going to end up being really good or maybe not so good, it's still getting made <laughs> so that that is like really big, and um, at the very least it'll it'll keep folks uh, employed, which is awesome. Um, but I also think it could potentially really help our industry because there has been not too many opportunities to do feature-level productions here in the States. And um, I think that by creating a space uh, for the original content, like the stop-motion stuff can, it can potentially even thrive on the Netflix platform, which would be great. Sure. Um, so it, it could be one of those things where maybe it'll – Maybe it won't go much further past these, these next couple of productions that are coming up or it could spawn this whole new thing, which all in all, I don't care what happens. It's all exciting. Mm-hmm.
0: It's going to be cool. <laughs> Just a, a matter of gauged interest, I guess. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Um, I mean, what, what, what do you find to be like uh, with, with the industry as it is now? Like are we, we're, we're talking a lot about really the, the positive dynamics of things in the projection in that way. What do, you, what do you find to be like some of the harder shortcomings?
1: Of just the industry Yeah, itself. yeah, just, yeah. Um, sometimes I think it's it's maybe a little bit more of the approach, uh, something that's always come up. And the thing that I admire most about stop motion is uh, something I mentioned earlier where it encompasses all these different art forms. Um, but then it also gives you the ability to do something I don't feel like you find entirely in other um, ways of filmmaking. You can literally plan out everything to a T, Now, is it going to go according to plan? Probably not. (laughs) But on a lot of professional settings, I've seen all of that work that's put into those early storyboards and everything uh, that gets compiled early on in pre-production. You know, it's fleshed out to a T. It's ready to go. Uh, But then when you're in production, things are happening and it kind of, it goes away from that. The schedule changes really quickly. And I always felt like that was something that actually ends up preventing it prevents the films from getting made in a timely manner. And I think that a lot of times if your story is really strong and you've spent all that time in pre-production setting it up, don't, like, go away from that. That's your Bible. You stick to it, and you get that produced within that two-year time, and you don't go beyond that. Um, I think a lot of times, having worked with various directors, uh, in one way or another, um, their relationship with producers can um almost be like they're not being reeled back and a lot ends up happening and it, it just throws the schedule in all different directions before you know it, you're, you're struggling to get something done, um, that could have, could have been, you know, fabricated or, uh, animated or whatever in the time frame that you had originally set out if you just didn't have those folks make those sort of like out of the blue decisions, right? Mm-hmm. Um, I think that those things more than anything, I don't, I don't think it has to do with the medium at all. Uh, people saying that it's like a, an old form of um, filmmaking. Uh, I think it's still very relevant and I would love to see more stop motion films. And I think there are tons of people out there that agree with me on that um, because there's so much potential for style and story. And if you have those two uh, and you plan it out really well, I feel like the rest is just going gonna, gonna to be great.
0: It's yeah, work I think out. I think the uh, the the the, surgeons, uh, the the surge in the industry here in Portland is really kind of speaks to that. You
1: know? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah,
0: uh, Catherine, you were talking uh, you know about like the naysayers, and we're kind of focusing a little bit on the negative right now. I think, but uh, what, what what is your fear uh, when you're like? I, I'm curious what your biggest fears are when you're coming out of it. Uh, that is when you're coming out of school and and you're heading into the industry. What do you not want to see happen with where you're trying to trying to be?
2: Um, so I think the thing that I don't know if I fear it most, but that agitates me or angers me like potentially the most is historically like the female side of the industry. Like um, even before I entered college, I read an article about how 66% or something like that of college uh, college students who are studying animation are female, but, like, 20-some percent of them are employed in the animation industry, and it's just, like, kind of ridiculous um, how male-dominated it still is, how many female, like, animators I continually hear stories from that are not um, conducive for that work environment, appropriate. Um, It's still kind of a boys' club, and um, I feel like facing the gatekeepers is the thing I fear most. Like, uh, I don't, I don't want to have to prove myself because I'm a girl. Like, <laughs> I guess I don't want to have to like face these, these, um, obstacles as a femme. I want to just be able to power through my work and go through it that way rather than like, uh, have something like my identity get in the way of me being hired.
0: Yeah. I've definitely heard that, that kind of thing. Uh, I, I, I mean have you, have you I mean obviously not in the same realm but right. have you experienced this kind of thing
1: Um I mean yeah I I obviously can't can't speak from that side and it's it's always a, a struggle um but I definitely hear what you're saying it's uh it has been a boys club um since the beginning you yeah. know it's I mean, it's not the, really
0: making all the women, women animate animate the cells and everything yeah, while it's everything crazy. else yeah
1: yeah and then there's just certain um Credit that is due, you know, for so many uh, that haven't received the credit that they should. Um, the exciting side of it is is that, like, even with these productions coming up, like, the producers are going to be female, which is awesome. You know, and I, I love seeing more um, women in leadership roles, especially for these these projects, because um, it is really crucial. You don't want a story that's going to be told so one-sided, you know. Like, it needs to uh, encompass everyone. And, um when you have like the the standard white male, you know, telling the the story every time, it's like <laughs> it you're going to wind up yeah, one sided. <laughs> absolutely. So, um, I would love to see um, even more uh, women directors for these films too, because yeah. that would that would be huge for yeah. our industry.
0: Absolutely. Um, what what do you think? Like an, an approach you could, uh, Catherine, uh, that you could come in with? Like, do 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 you have any kind of? I, I know, obviously, you haven't. Had high exposure to the industry yet this point, but I mean, do do you think you can come in in into this realm and bring something to that to like help change the narrative?
2: Um, I think one thing that is really similar that I hear Bradley talk about is um, I talk about trying to infuse a little kindness into things, and that um, kindness will take everything a long way. Whether that's um, interacting with People every day or just entering acting like with the film that you're making or yourself Um, I think that that really like I'm not going to get upset at someone for treating me the way that they do like I'm not going to let those things get to me I'm just here to work I'm here to do what I want to do I'm here to respect you and like I want respect from people but I'm also like here to have fun and, like, here to be kind and, like, here to make friends. And if you get through the door, like, I get through the door. Like, we're not, I feel like um, because animation is a small industry, a lot of people kind of want to be a little bit rude or want to be a little competitive. But really, like, the way in is through, like, someone else, like Bradley said. And, and so having friends is, like, what's going to make productions way better? And <laughs> just, like, You don't have to be friends, but be nice, you know? (laughs) Yeah,
0: you're going to bolster a sense of community then. Yeah. Yeah, of course, that's a great, great approach. So, Catherine, uh, what could someone looking to become an animation major at PNCA expect as far as, like, workload and uh, interaction?
2: Um, I think that my experience is very different because I obviously didn't enter in with a class around me and, you know, us foster together and rile up and go through the ranks. Um, I came in partway through and um, so the sense of community within the, the major was already really interknit. And I think that, like, if you're in it, you're in it, but it can be kind of hard to fight through, honestly. And um, the, the workload of whether you're an animated art student here at PNCA or at another college is always going to be a lot. And I think part of that is just, um, again, going back to me talking about how the projects that I'm pitching are my personal projects the projects that I'm pitching are me trying to do something I really want to do but also complete the assignment you want me to complete. And that's part of how I stay motivated, but it's also um, once you put yourself in that project, which I think is kind of inevitable when making art, it's kind of um, you you do a lot more. And I think that the stereotype perpetuated of animators is like stay up all night, like (laughs) eat a lot of candy, like do energy drinks. And that's, you know, if that's you stay up and do it but I'm trying to figure out like what a healthy balance is between like myself and my emotional needs and my physical needs and also like getting the amount of work done that's expected because it's a lot
0: <laughs> yeah absolutely it's coffee for me though <laughs> <laughs> um, for a lot of us yeah um, what what kind of tools have you uh, gleaned from going going to art school uh, for Trying, you know, uh, besides, like, getting the leverage to get into the industry, uh, is, is there anything specific that's really kind of stuck out to you that you found, like, wow, this is so useful?
2: Um, I think the tool that I learned most, this is so cheesy, but I had a job as a gallery assistant at my previous school, and um, I completed an art history minor there. I'm just really passionate about art history in general and thought that my backup plan would always be to be a curator or to work as an art historian. Um, and so I had taken this job. I was having a great time with this job and I was facing a lot of struggles with like creating boundaries for myself versus this work that I was so passionate about. Um, I only had one other person above me in this role that was working to run our gallery. So I was expected to do a a lot, like help with installation and I was having a great time, but it was taking a large toll on me. And I realized that like, um, I, I needed to figure out how to have fun, but also keep boundaries. And I think one of the most important things that I've learned is like boundary setting. <laughs> That's a great tool. But also um, being myself in that role and being honest and being kind and being humble got me so far in terms of the people that I got to meet. I got, I was very fortunate. I got to work with Hank Willis Thomas and be his assistant for a day. And I've met just a lot of great people through that job and, um, Became a really integral part. I think of the Memphis community through just kindness. I my tools are kindness, being humble, being honest, and setting boundaries. I think that um, the more you try to to listen to everyone else's advice, while well, it can be helpful, if you're trying to follow everyone, like you're not gonna follow anyone, and you're also not gonna get anywhere. Mm. So. Trying to find what sticks to you and not ignoring things. That's not my advice. (laughs) (laughs) My advice is finding what sticks for you and what works um, is really important. And um, boundary setting is the tool.
0: (laughs) Yeah, like it sounds like the kind of thing that's uh, easily translatable to bring anywhere you go.
2: Yes.
0: (laughs) Uh, What sort of boundaries do you have to set for yourself?
2: Um, I think my main boundary is time spent on something.
0: Uh, It's uh projects. Yes.
2: I mean, kind of anything. I I really, it's like, if I love something, I'll go in. whether that's my friend, whether that's my project, whether that's a gallery setup, like it doesn't matter. I love creating experiences. And sometimes you can get lost in an experience for yourself and trying to set, okay, I'm only going to spend like this many hours total on this project and then not go over. Like, and that's hard. I don't meet those goals a lot of times. A lot of times I lose myself still in that goal, but like I think just the act of setting a, a goal of time allows me to reflect on something like that. Like, oh, I passed my goal. Why did I pass my goal? Like what am I doing right now? What am I ignoring? Like what haven't I, I done for myself right now?
0: Yeah, absolutely. I can uh, definitely relate in the sense <laughs> that I do not set goals for myself. I'm really good at going down a hole with things, you know, everything in moderation they say. Um how about you, Bradley? Have you uh, do you set like a boundaries for yourself in the same way?
1: You know, I I wish I would more. That's that's the thing, um, Catherine. That was like really really well said. Um, you're very Thank well you. spoken. Thank High five. you. Seriously. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of those things though. It's it is really important. A lot of times, I find that I'm not doing that so much with my own work or other uh, projects for others. Uh, do a lot of commissions on the side and. Um, a lot of times you'll just take it on and, you know, before you know it, the plate's way too full <laughs> and um, you're, you're just hanging on for dear life trying to get it done, you know. And, but you got to meet the, the deadlines too. And uh, over the years, the, the one thing that I have tried to um, at least make a little easier on myself is that I won't take on projects unless um, the, uh, the client's a little bit more flexible.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: That, that's like kind of crucial. Um, and that's helped out a lot. Uh but yeah, I could still that that's an area where I, I still could could grow.
0: Yeah, sure. I've definitely been shot down for jobs simply for the fact of them being too too strict with the the, the way that they're they're trying to set up. You know, the expectations are being unreasonable and like exactly. I think when you get especially when you're first getting into it, it's really easy to just say, Oh yeah, I'll just do that. I'll bend over backwards for them yeah. and then have it come back and bite you in the ass, you know. It happens. <laughs> yes, it does. Yep. <laughs> I mean, especially in uh in, in doing like uh that freelancer uh I, I forgot the uh, the term in which you just used, but uh in, in being uh
1: um, kind of like with the commissions and commi- commission stuff yeah, work, Commission yes, work, yes, yes. Yep. Um my tip is to do
2: lists.
1: <laughs> to-do lists yeah. yeah they do help i,
2: I to-do <laughs> list my whole hours like all of the days like by noon drink four glasses of water like by <laughs> oh, noon <dang>. like, yeah, <laughs> do a
0: tea that's yeah
2: <laughs> you gotta small achievable goals get you there
1: yeah it's it <laughs> really so
2: good funny. to check it off <laughs> yeah
1: no, that's good i i worked with this um uh a good friend in um past coworker of mine she said i think she like scheduled it out so that like you know, every every so often, um, her phone would go off. Like, drink some water. You know, So yeah. I, I think you guys would have got along. Really well. I
0: I wish I was so committed. <laughs> I I just fly by the seat of my pants and <laughs> hope that everything works out ultimately, yeah. which is not necessarily the greatest approach. But
2: I uh, I think I I did that and still do that sometimes, really hard. But I found that like my burnout was just getting so intense, and that like, um, especially like with the announce of the closure of my college, like, I had a a huge, like, dip in my art and, like, nothing I was producing was making me, like, feel fulfilled. I wasn't happy. And so I had to set, like, these goals and find some form of structure that I created for myself in my life to, like, get stuff back on track. Like, um, and I think that that's, I mean, I I don't think that my art had even gotten back on track or, like, that I'm feeling fulfillment or, like, (laughs) this, having this big, like, creative, you know, blast or whatever you want to call it until like the semester again um and
0: sure you do you tend to find you need that structure to kind of keep yourself motivated
2: yeah i think i'm very much like a loose person and so like (laughs) i'm just gonna flow into whatever structure is set for me and if there's none set like then i'm just all out like
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah i can relate definitely just to kind of add to that um when i when i think about uh what it was like i remember being in college and you know Sure, you guys can relate. Like the uh, the all nighters, everything yeah. you can possibly do to just keep going. And um, as you get older, though, uh, you you can't do it quite the same <laughs> way that you you could. Yeah, um, yeah. Like I, I got to a point where uh, I just I still try those to this day. You know, working on various projects and it's it's not the same.
0: You know? Oh yeah, I've yeah. I've rolled into class with no yeah. sleep whatsoever, and that worked when I was uh, I don't know twenty, but uh, yeah. now I like. Oh god. Ugh, yeah. Yuck. It's pretty it's don't pretty look bad. at me. Yeah. It's rough.
2: <laughs> I would like to say I'm 20 now and it still doesn't work for me. God, I no. have okay. to have a very sustainable <laughs> calm life.
0: That's good. Oh, that's, that was not me in my 20s. It was it was a well, wild to say the least. Yeah. So Bradley, you have some form of relation with PNCA, correct?
1: Yeah, and that all came um through uh, a good friend of mine and a co-worker of mine, uh, Emily Myers, who I had the pleasure of working with at Leica and then later on a couple of uh, Shadow Machine productions. And um, she just kind of called me uh, up one day, wanted to meet up and talk about the potential of me coming in to do uh, a mold making demonstration for a puppet fabrication class she had been telling me about for, I think it was like a little over a year at that point. Uh, we had been working on different projects and she always just seemed so excited about it. Uh, what she was doing over at PNCA. And I thought, oh, that sounds really cool. Uh, it had been like a number of years since I had tried doing any sort of teaching, um, but had some experience in it. Uh, so I thought, well, for a demo, that would be that would be pretty cool. You know, that'd be great. And uh, at that point, it also felt a little bit better because my past teaching experience was like before all of the industry um, opportunities. So I thought, oh, well, this would be a great opportunity to come back to um, an educational setting and show students what I've learned from the professional point of view, and um, so that kind of stemmed into me coming in one class and uh, uh, ended up um, doing a couple more classes, you know, just to kind of get through the the mold making demos and uh, processes, uh, which was awesome. The students are great there, and uh, faculty, everyone that made it made it possible. Uh, so far at PNCA has been great. So, right now. yeah.
2: I would love to add that I was in that puppet fabrication class and Bradley did an amazing job. And thank you, Bradley and Emily, for being the one who chose Bradley because um, I loved having you there and you did. I I loved it. Yeah, thank you, Bradley. Uh, Well, I appreciate
1: that. Thank you. (laughs) And, yeah, to add to that list, um, yeah, like you said, Emily, uh, thank you so much. And uh, Rose Bond and Teresa Mm -hmm. Drilling, uh, Cynthia Starr, they're all just really amazing.
0: All right, well, that's all the time we have. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Artist Perspectives. I'm A.D. Holm, and I want to thank my guests Bradley Worley and Catherine Mosley for joining us today. Bradley is currently working on the new Netflix series Wendell & Wild, which premieres uh, tentatively in 2021. Catherine is an animation major focused on stop motion and character design. You can see their work on our blog under the podcast co-op at prp.fm.